World Bank EdTech Podcast, a conversation on the use of technology and innovation in education globally. My name is Bob Hawkins, and I'm the global lead for technology and innovation in education at the World Bank. We're very pleased to have with us today, Director Joshua Valletta, who is the Director of Open Distance and E-Learning, ODEL, uh, in the Ministry of Education in Malawi. Anthony Chigeda, the Executive Director of Imagine Malawi, and Joe Wolf, uh, CEO and co-founder of Imagine Worldwide. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, today's discussion, we're going to explore a very relevant and exciting topic and project that's underway uh, in Malawi, scaling an adaptive learning program for early grade reading called Building Education Foundations Through Innovation and Technology, BFIT. Thanks, everybody, for joining this conversation. We're very excited to have all three of you with us today. And Director Valletta, I wonder if we can kick off the conversation with you. If you can kind of paint the picture a bit for us of what you see as the challenge in Malawi for early grade reading and then specifically uh, learning poverty, which is a, a huge challenge in all of the countries we work with and how you think a technology solution specifically will help address this challenge. Director Valletta, over to you. Thank you very much, Bob. Very exciting indeed to be here to talk about uh, the EdTech solution. Well, in, in Malawi here, as is the case in sub-Saharan Africa and around the globe, the challenge of very high levels of learning poverty is real. And uh, as you know, we, we are looking at, at very high figures and we're talking about 10% of 10-year-olds uh, only with the ability to read with comprehension. And uh, what we are trying to do in, in our national education sector investment plan is to tackle this head on. Um, when we look at the three categories of our education, basic education, secondary education, and then tertiary education. We are targeting specific challenges, and the key challenge for basic education is quality, which is represented by very high levels of learning poverty. So on average, we are talking about 87% learning poverty. That refers to literacy, but if you're looking at numeracy, you're looking at something around 81%. So only 19% of the kids can really do proper numeracy at the right level when you're looking at grades one to four, whereas in literacy, it's 13%. Now, we have been asking ourselves the question. We've been doing all kinds of interventions as we try to correct this and improve learning outcomes in this country, but we haven't achieved much. This is why about 2008 or so, we started to think about alternative ways, innovative means of trying to do um, the, the art of teaching and learning. And then over the years, we came across the one course pro software, which as you know now is an award-winning software. And we have been uh, using it in the classroom in Malawi. And then we have been doing serious research over the past eight years or so, including randomized control trials. And guess what? The impact is so huge that uh, learning is going much, much better with uh, gains of four months within 13 months when you are looking at literacy and gains of three months within a period of 13 months when you're looking at numeracy. So we want to transform education and we want to do whatever has evidence that works. We want to scale it up. And that's why we have a national scale up program now we call Building Education Foundations Through Innovation and Technology. And we are very excited and we have partners around us 
helping us to do this and do it well. Fantastic. Now, this is a this is a huge challenge, as I said, in all of our countries. A huge uh, issue in many countries is is language. Uh, teaching uh, in local language, understanding uh, what is being taught, uh, kids being advanced in both language and mathematics without having the basics to be able to uh, take on a higher grade uh, curriculum, uh, which is a language issue in and of itself, not understanding what is being taught. So studies around the world have highlighted the benefits of adaptive learning software to be able to both bring students up to grade level uh, so that they can better understand what's being taught uh, in a seventh grade math class if they only have fourth grade uh, uh, knowledge in mathematics, uh, how to bring them up to the seventh grade knowledge, um, as well as, as you had highlighted, accelerating uh, learning. I wonder if I can move the conversation to Tony uh, to share a little bit more details on the specific intervention. If you can talk a little bit about kind of the history of the One Billion program, which was an XPRIZE winner, uh, an open source software, and the role that Imagine is playing with the ministry uh, to to introduce uh, this program. Uh, Tony, over to you. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, certainly the challenges facing the education system, as Director Valet has explained, are quite significant. And in around 20. Uh, 13, 2014, uh, 1 billion had developed the one course, a software supporting literacy and numeracy. And so they started the initial trials of proving this concept. Randomized control trials were done to test this intervention and how it was working. And following the successful results at that point, the program went further to kind of try to involve a wider number of schools. And between 2015 and 2017, the program was actually implemented in over 100 schools, and through this period, a lot of research was carried out to understand the efficacy of this intervention. And so in 2017, Imagine Worldwide came into Malawi and wanted to prove for themselves the efficacy of this software. Between 2017 and 2022, Imagine carried out over five research studies looking at the different aspects of this program and the models of implementation. And following that work, as we are looking at the interest from government to actually scale this work, we're basically supporting the government of Malawi by getting the software into the schools, providing the tablets, providing the solar power to charge those tablets. And this is actually making the program usable even in contexts that are very remote. And with all the research evidence that has gone on, we have the complete curriculum with a full pedagogy that is adaptive and appropriate for the local context. And so what we're seeing with this solution is that there are three key points that would emphasize. The first is access. It's a very accessible intervention that can be implemented in all kinds of context with ease. The second aspect is affordability. We are looking at this intervention uh, coming at around five to six dollars per child per year in recurring costs, which we think is actually uh, even going to go down further with the uh, advances in technology that are coming around every day. And in addition to that, the efficacy element, we're looking at something that is evidenced. It's not every day that people scale out things that are well-researched with such kind of an evidence behind them. And so looking at these uh, three key aspects, access, affordability, and efficacy, we see that the solution that we are helping the government of Malawi implement is actually very unique in the future education success of the children. 
Thanks, Tony. On the research that's been done over the years, I wonder if you can give me three headlines from those studies that have come out. Yeah, the recent RCT that we completed, uh, we noted that girls and boys benefit similarly. This intervention scaled out would actually allow the gender issues that are normally prevalent in schools to be even out. We saw a lot of accelerated learning in literacy, as uh, Director Valletta pointed out, an equivalent of 4.2 months of additional literacy learning after 13 months of intervention. We noted over 72% of children coming to a point of attaining emergent reader status and also moving on in the path of improving their skills in mathematics. We found that uh, over 50% of children actually advanced on national literacy benchmarks. That's just in one of the uh, long RSCT that we carried out. Thanks, Tony. So a gender impact, an impact on accelerating learning, and an impact on meeting learning standards. Was there anything that came out on engagement, on uh, school attendance, school retention, that the evidence and the research revealed? Yes, thank you very much, Bob. We've seen a lot of other knock-off effects of the intervention, and uh, some of that is improved attendance. We've seen the enrollment in schools that are actually implementing the intervention swell. And as you might be aware, the issue of learner absenteeism is a huge problem in our context. But with this intervention, we're seeing a lot more learners coming back to school. And uh, learning motivation is also improving. The lessons are well illustrated. There's a lot of teaching and learning materials that are integrated in the software. And this is actually making the learners be more interested and engaged. But we've also noted that as learners work with the tablets, they are actually exposed to teaching that is of a very high quality and all learners are having access to the same high quality instruction. Thanks, Tony. I want to come back to you on these points of what makes this solution uh, accessible. But let me ask Joe to jump in here, uh, uh, Joe Wolf. And I wonder if you can uh, share a little bit uh, about how you see the nature of this private-public partnership with the Ministry of Education and what you think is unique about this project. For the listeners, maybe introduce a little bit more about Imagine Worldwide, uh, your genesis and and how you've uh, been working uh, and engaging with the Ministry of Education in Malawi. Sounds great. And and thank you for the opportunity today. Uh, Imagine is laser focused on foundational literacy and numeracy. So this is everything that we do. Uh, The implementations that we uh, work with are across seven countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, The largest and most established program is is here in Malawi. Uh, And from day one, we think about sustainability. Uh, The goal at the end of the day is to have the program owned, operated, and funded by government. We have to acknowledge that there are capacity gaps, infrastructure gaps, capital gaps, and that's where the public private partnership comes in. So we are a NGO uh, based in California, uh, though two thirds of our staff uh, are based on the continent. We've also set up a dedicated NGO in Malawi, exclusively focused on the work of the BFIT program. Uh, Often it's called an ecosystem coordinator, which is sort of a fancy word for conductor of the orchestra, uh, an entity that is waking up every single day and making sure that all the, the disparate parts, the different stakeholders are aligned and coordinated, all with the central focus of getting the BFIT program to happen and to happen at scale. And we've been thinking about sustainability from day one, meaning that the government at the end of the day has to be the operator and has to be the funder. And so if we talk about first operations, we take a system strengthening approach where the primary implementing organization is the government itself using existing government resources 
infrastructure uh, within government schools and timetables aligned to national curriculum and receiving temporary support from a network of technical partners, as well as a group of implementing partners. And each school receives around two years of support from these third parties where the muscle can be built for the system to be able to run itself. From a financial standpoint, we use philanthropy and aid capital to build the upfront infrastructure, the solar power, the charging security cabinets, the initial tablets, uh, the initial training, but all of the recurring costs hand off to the government. And we estimate those recurring costs to be around $5 per child per year. That's for the eventual repair and replacement of the equipment within the system. So us at Imagine play this role of aligning and coordinating, but very much with the intent of building the system strength so that eventually we are no longer needed. Thanks, Joe. So, th so this is a six-year project that you're embarking on that will reach 3.5 million students and around 5,800 uh, schools, correct? That's correct. Uh, 3.5 million learners per year. Phase one of the BFIT project will be 500 schools. Uh, those have just been completed uh, on time and on budget. We're happy to report. Phase two for academic year 24-25 will be an additional 1,000 schools serving over 800,000 learners. And the total work will be 6,000 schools, every primary school in Malawi over the next six years. And the opportunity is to not only serve 3.5 million learners per year, but also to create a very valuable roadmap for other countries to follow. Thanks, Joe. Just to delve a little bit more deeply on this idea of the ecosystem and what it takes to implement, you'd, you'd mentioned the procurement of tablets and the, the implementation of tablets, the procurement of solar panels, the maintenance of those panels, uh, the integration of the software into the curriculum, uh, the training of, of teachers, the, the execution and timetabling. If you were to kind of identify the main actors in this ecosystem and, and how many actors you are conducting as, uh, as Imagine Worldwide and Imagine Malawi. Can you just talk a little bit more about the ecosystem, who the players are and their roles? Yeah, thank you, Bob. The way we have approached the scale work is that we have a series of what we're calling implementation service providers, whose job is to help build the capacity of the government systems to ensure that they're able to execute with high quality and speed. And so these implementation service providers are classified in two groups. We have what we're calling technology service providers. These are local companies that do fabrication of the metal storage cages to securely store the tablets and the solar equipment in the school. Service providers that are doing the installation of the solar equipment. We are also working with other non-governmental organizations that we have recruited who are actually supporting the implementation and the monitoring of the program and they work with the teachers with the supervisors in ensuring that capacity is being built and then on the government side we're also working with a number of stakeholders different directorates in the ministry of education to support the work that's actually going on and these will actually be the owners of the work at the end of the day and so we think through this system we have something that we can actually execute and the government can ease into that process and run it Thanks, Tony. In our education strategy, we have five principles. One, ask why. Make sure that uh, education leads the decisions around technology and changes in the classroom. Number two is to develop for all and at scale. Number three is engaging the teachers. Four is be data-driven. 
and five is engaging the ecosystem. And I find what you're doing in Malawi extremely interesting in terms of this last point of engaging the ecosystem, of supporting the Ministry of Education to bring additional expertise uh, from the private sector to execute uh, this program. Uh, Director Valletta, I wonder if you can uh, share your own perspectives on how you see this ecosystem evolving and what aspects do you think need to be uh, continued uh, over the longer term and what aspects do you think need to be brought into the ministry? Because many, many ministries of education realize that they can't nor should they execute these programs alone and they need to engage a broader ecosystem over a longer period of time. Um, so I'm wondering if you can comment a little bit on kind of some of your your hopes and thoughts for nurturing and developing this ecosystem to scale this project. Thanks very much, Bob. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is that uh, our directorate, the Director of Open Distance and E-Learning, um, we have a mission. And guess what? In our mission, you find it very well written that we want to develop and sustain an ecosystem that is going to ensure that there's flexible, open, efficient, and resilient education systems that are working. Isn't isn't that interesting? That's fantastic. Thank you. And then when we looked at developing that kind of an ecosystem, we realized, oh, you need to be very well organized and very well coordinated. Now, the beauty about the foundational learning and foundational literacy and numerous is that even at country level, we have already been very forward thinking in that we said we need to be better coordinated. We need to have an ecosystem around the foundational learning. So we have actually what, as a country, we have developed what we're calling a five-strand foundational education strategy, five SEFs in short. So it has five strands sitting on five stones. Now, strand number five is digitalization. So the work we are doing here is under that strand of digitalization. Now, what we did was, as a minister, we said, under each strand, you have a specific department in the ministry working with the development partners that are into the work that's related to that particular strand. So we went ahead earlier this year, we had what we call the ODL Symposium, Open Distance and E-Learning Symposium. And at that symposium, we launched an education technology coalition, EdTech coalition. Now, this has merged into a technical committee that's governing the uh, strand that's there. Now, under this strand of digitalization, we have identified a spotlight program. Our spotlight program is the BFIT, Building Education Foundations Through Innovation and Technology, which we are talking about now. So we are now mobilizing all these partners so that we work better. Now, since this program is anchored by government, we saw that it was necessary for us to have different partners playing different roles. And naturally, because of the experience that Imagine Worldwide has, we said, play that role and try and coordinate partners from that side. And then within government, we are also choir mastering and orchestrating different um, ministries and departments so that we are doing this work together. So we find the idea of engaging uh, technology support partners and implementation support partners as very, very critical. And we are doing this all the way from the Ministry of Education to the regional areas, to the districts, and all the way to the schools. We are looking at the existing infrastructure and the structures that are there. And we are saying, you have a role 
Uh, now, here's a program. So now it's a policy. Government has decided that we're going to mainstream the use of education technology. Why? Because of the evidence that's there. So we have these structures in place going on, and the technology support partners are there just to add the impetus and make sure that we all get to the place where we are like, oh, wow, we get it. This is what you mean. This is indeed a very significant role for us to be playing. And then all of us will begin to appreciate the impact that's happening in the classroom. And the learning is now really taking place. Now we'll be saying, you see, when you're playing this role very well, this is what will happen. That's the kind of mobilizing of an ecosystem that we are trying to do. And we believe that as we move forward, even with the Minister of Finance in there, just today, this morning, we actually had a meeting where we had the Minister of Finance represented, Minister of Energy represented, Minister of Local Government, all of us working together to make sure that we know our roles and then we do them well. And when we are doing this together, it becomes a little bit easier. So that's how we see the ecosystem evolving. So that's how we see things playing out. And we significantly value the role that the Ecosystems Coordinator Imagine Worldwide is playing in this. We are making sure that the, every piece is coming together so that the puzzle can be very well solved. No, congratulations, uh, Director Vleta. This is not easy. This is not easy at all. Um, many uh, ed tech initiatives are done in silos with very little communication in the Ministry of Education itself, let alone across ministries. And it really is a, it's a human uh, skill more than anything of, of being able to uh, reach out and connect uh, with other like parties and bring them uh, together uh, for a shared vision. So a huge congratulations to you and your team and the Ministry of Education for being the conductor uh, in, in, in this orchestra. Thanks, Bob. Um, so, Joe, I know you wanted to jump in on, on this point. Uh, over to you. I just had a, a, a one other observation is that part of the excitement here is around innovation readiness. Um, right now, if you are in a school in Malawi, uh, you most likely have a very large classroom uh, with a wide variety of, of training that has happened in that classroom. You also have a lack of, of infrastructure, a lack of electricity, a lack of instructional materials. Um, after this work is done with BFIT, you have an electrified building, you have every uh, individual within the education apparatus that's been trained to use technology. Uh, you have an entire ecosystem that has formed around repair, installation, around maintenance. So whatever innovation comes next, the system is in a radically better starting point to adopt that innovation. And so the interest coming from finance, from energy, from other areas around job creation, around upskilling, um, there's a lot of components that go well beyond um, the classic um, education benefits that we see with, with a lot of programming. No, this is, this is an excellent point, putting in that technical, but also that human infrastructure of, of how you implement, install, maintain, replace, and upgrade. Um, Director Valletta, I want to come back to you on this issue that Joe mentioned on innovation readiness and how you see the teachers uh, reacting to this technology uh, and how they see perhaps their role changing uh, in, the, in the classroom. I wonder if you can comment on that aspect of the, the human element uh, of, of this program, because at the end of the day, uh, education is a social endeavor uh, and, and teachers are at the forefront, and as we say in our strategy, need to be empowered. I wonder if you can talk on, on that issue, Director Valletta. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Uh, I, I will start by referring to what we agreed uh, last year during the Rewired Summit in Dubai. We said the future is human, and we continue to stress this point. 
And this is the message that we put across to our teachers as we engage them. We say, look here, technology will never replace the teacher. But perhaps the teacher who embraces technology will replace the one who doesn't. This is, first of all, just to reaffirm the position of the teacher and that they are still important and they are needed in the classroom, except that their role might change a little bit by adopting technology. They'll become more efficient. They, the technology will help them do more things or even certain things that they, they were maybe struggling with. That's a point we want them to understand. And that's why when we're bringing in this technology, we're saying, this is still your classroom. This is a help, a help that you can use for you to do a little bit more than what you've been trying to do, given all the challenges that are there in the classroom. So that's a point that we're trying to make very clear. And that excites the teachers. So they realize that, okay, I, my job is still here and I, I, I still need to interact with the learners. Uh, of course, as they do the, the work, the social interaction is very important and these kids are still in the classroom to make sure that there's still that component of social interaction as they learn um, outside the tablet learning sessions. But also even the tablet itself is made in such a way that it allows some level of interaction and interactivity. And, uh, you know, going forward, we want to make sure that the teacher understands that they still have a very critical role. Moreover, what we are also trying to promote is um, the acquisition of the feedback from the tablet. So the teacher knows what is happening exactly with the learners in the classroom. And based on the information that is coming out of these tablets, the teacher will be able to regroup the learners to make sure that these learners are learning more. So that's how we see things playing out. The teacher using this tablet as really a tool we look at it as part of the toolbox that the classroom needs to be more effective and more efficient. No, this is fantastic. Uh, hitting on uh, two more of uh, our, our principles of be data-driven uh, and empowering teachers. And you might have the best policy in the world, but at the end of the day, that policy is ultimately implemented by teachers. And if they are not engaged or see the value uh, of the intervention uh, and the technology on teaching and learning, uh, you you will go nowhere. So uh, it's it's very interesting to kind of hear the perspective and the communication that you've been delivering to teachers with regard to their own empowerment and their ability to uh, use the technology to uh, further uh, personalize the teaching that they provide uh, to students. So, Tony, I'd like to come back to you on the question of access. I wonder if I can touch on the last two points, uh, Tony, that, that you had mentioned. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit more about what is unique uh, about the access challenge in Malawi and how the technology has addressed that challenge. Um, so, Tony, uh, over to you on this issue of uh, access. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, actually, one key area that we see as a strong part of this program is on the access. And when we look at the question of access, what we're looking at first is the issue of uh, network connectivity. The use of the tablets and the program that is being run in the schools does not require active internet uh, for learners to be able to use the software. And this means that even in areas where there is literally no internet access, we can actually implement this program without any problem. If you think of a country like Malawi, in the rural areas, uh, not many people would actually have access to internet, not schools actually have access to internet. And so not depending on the use of the internet is one strong factor of this 
solution. And then the other issue is the use of the tablets actually require that there is available power to charge those tablets. And uh, most of our schools in, in the country do not even have a connection to the grid. And therefore that poses a huge challenge in terms of what kind of innovations you can bring into the schools. And so we have solved this power problem by ensuring that we install solar in the schools that is not only able to charge the tablets, but could also provide some lighting uh, in the school. So that would actually expand the uh, impact of the program. So that's an added benefit in our solution uh, in that situation. But we also see access from the perspective that, you know, the class sizes are very large. And so even to do differentiated instruction, it's very difficult. No matter how good the teacher is, you cannot be successful with 150 kids sitting in front of you. But the use of the tablets is actually making this quality instruction accessible to every learner in that uh, particular class, as learners learn independently on a tablet that they actually have. And in that way, every child, both in an urban setting, in the rural setting, have access to the same material, the same program, and therefore have been given equal chances to succeed uh, in their learning. And so we look at these as some of the key uh, aspects that are making this program very unique uh, on the question of access. The tablets are kept at the school and distributed to the learners. And what is the learner to tablet ratio uh, in, in the classroom? When a class is running a tablet session, every child in that particular class has a tablet to themselves. We look at the enrollment and the distribution of the enrollment across the classes and across the grades. So for example, if we have a grade one with maybe three streams, a, B, and C would look at the size of the largest class, and that would be the number of tablets that will be provided, making sure that every learner has actually the tablets to use. And then these tablets are actually being rotated, so they can be used in one grade, and then they're taken to the next grade based on the enrollment and the length of the school day and the number of rotations that are possible within that. So through that approach, we actually ensure that every child has access to a tablet at the time when their class has a scheduled lesson with the tablets. Just a final question is, what is the exposure? How many, how many minutes per week uh, is your average student uh, on the tablet using the software? Our target uh, in terms of time with a tablet is two and a half hours a week. And so we actually consider splitting these uh, two and a half hours in 30 minute slots. So one 30 minute slot each day of the week in that case, we would make sure that even learners who are absent sometimes are not completely missing out on the tablet lesson. Thanks, thanks. Um, Joe, let me come to you on, on this question of, of cost. Technology is unique in the sense that it's always improving, always changing, continually dynamic. Uh, in, in many cases, costs are coming down. In many cases, features are, are expanding. If I can ask you to kind of pull out your crystal ball and talk a little bit about both what you see as the major cost drivers uh, in this program and what you see as the opportunities for cost reduction moving forward. Sure, and just to slightly reframe your question, what we think a lot about is value to cost. Uh, and so on the value side, we've seen uh, our performance improve with every RCT we've done. We've done nine randomized control trials. Every trial has shown better efficacy than the one before it. So the value part of the equation uh, is improving. And then to your point on the cost, we've seen costs decrease around 75% over the last five years. 
Uh, part of that is the, the deflation that you see in the technology units themselves. Uh, we've also become larger purchasers, so our economies of scale continue to uh, improve. Uh, and the two costs are really um, related to the tablets themselves. Uh, we see uh, tablet pricing going down considerably over the next 10 years. Uh, we're also able to, to build a custom tablet now that has a number of durability features that will make them last longer, as well as battery features that allow for up to 12 to 14 hours per day of usage. Uh, and so in the rotation model that Tony mentioned, uh, the number of rotations you can do per day and the length of time that that tablet can be used are, are big drivers uh, of the cost equation. But both of those are moving very squarely in our favor. Uh, also on solar, um, solar costs are down around 80% over the last 10 years. Uh, and we expect to see considerable deflation in the cost of solar uh, in the next 10 years as well. The other thing Imagine is doing is building a lot of efforts around repair and maintenance. We don't want these tablets to end up in landfill over time. And so we're building the tablets to have a number of uh, features that allow them to be more easily repaired. And we'll also look to build certified uh, repair operations in the countries in which we work, which will both increase jobs, but also increase the duration of the use of the tablet. So right now, Tony mentioned a recurring costs of around $5 per child per year. Uh, we expect that to go lower over time. No, thanks, Joe. You, I mean, you raise an excellent point on the value, the, the, the cost benefit. Um, and the counterfactual of not engaging in this program is the reality of the status quo that uh, uh, Directive Letta, you, you highlighted at the beginning of the conversation of the 90% uh, learning poverty of 10-year-olds that cannot read a, a, a simple sentence. And the cost to society over time of that child not being a productive member of society uh, is very difficult to calculate, but uh, is very, very high. Um, Directive Let, I wonder if you can uh, kind of wrap us up with your own vision of how you see this program evolving over the next five to 10 years. It's been in operation and uh, has had a number of RCTs been evaluated over the past nine to 10 years. What, what is your vision for the next five to 10 years, uh, Directive Valletta? Thanks very much, Bob. As you can see, uh, the program is, is really following an agile approach and adjusting along the way and making sure that we're making good use of all innovations and all the developments that are going on around the world in the spheres of technology, but also education philosophy. So for, for us, um, as a country, we have a vision, a new vision that we call Mali 2063. And we want to be an inclusively wealthy, uh, upper middle income country by 2063. And then we have a midterm plan that's up to 2030. Now, in there, what we have said is that we want to build a very strong human capital that will allow us to uh, achieve all the dreams that are there. And then we quickly realize that for us to build a strong human capital, we need a very, very solid foundation. Now, with 87 to 90% learning poverty, that's a very shaky foundation. So what we did now, drawing from all that, is that we developed what we are calling an education technology vision will for Malawi 2063, which we have described what kind of a learner we are looking at, what kind of a classroom for primary, for secondary, for tertiary education, what kind of a school, and what kind of a teacher as well. So we are drawing from there, and we're also being driven by that to say, where do we want to be? So by 20. 
2030 or so, we'll all be reflecting on how, how we will have done in terms of certain development goals, but at the same time also our midterm goals for the vision that we have. So we see a, a, a situation where our schools are very well equipped with the education technology that will enhance learning as much as possible. That's going to enhance the teaching, the learning. That's going to transform the way we offer education in this country. We see that in the next uh, five years or so, because by 2029, that's when we, we hope to achieve full scale in the country, every primary school in Malawi will have these tablets for self-learning, for adaptive learning. And will we foresee a future where our teachers are very well equipped and they know very well how to use the tablets to support their teaching, but also to support the learners as they learn independently. We foresee a future where even our teacher training institutions have mainstreamed education technology, because that's already happening right now. So we see digital citizenship growing and settling in all these important areas of, of the education sector. And, and so we are very excited about that future and we see many opportunities coming in. We foresee a future where based on the wealth of knowledge and the evidence we are gathering through this learning journey uh, as we scale up, that we are gonna even have programs that will offer accelerated learning even for complementary basic education. And that's gonna afford us even more value as a country we will move faster to achieve the sustainable development goals, but also our own goals for Malawi 2063. That's the future for us, and the future is not far because already if you went to some classrooms today, you'd find that amazing uh, experience. And um, going alongside with that, we see industries developing around the use of the tablets, around the solar. We see a support system, we see new jobs being created, but all that around the nucleus of uh, an enhanced system for learning and, and teaching and improved quality of education in Malawi. Now, that's a very exciting and poignant uh, a vision for the future. And more importantly, you're acting urgently uh, to make it reality. Um, so congratulations uh, to, to you and the Ministry of Education. And congratulations to your partners, Imagine Malawi and Imagine Worldwide. It's been a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much, uh, Director Valletta, uh, Joe, Tony, uh, for sharing your experience on our podcast. This will be extremely beneficial to a number of other countries that are facing the exact same problems and challenges, and we'll have the opportunity as a result of this discussion uh, to learn and to uh, also share maybe some of their uh, experiences with you. So we're very excited to kind of follow your journey. And uh, once again, congratulations for creating this vision and acting urgently uh, to realize the vision. Thanks so much. Thank you to Bob. It's been great. Thank you for having us.